Breaking. 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 Uh, imposter. The imposter. Imposter. Breaking. The imposter. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Breaking the Imposter. I'm your host, Jermaine Ward, and today I have an exciting guest for you in Vincent Lee. Vince, I would like you to introduce yourself from there. Hi, yeah, my name is Vincent Lee. I'm a commercial banker here in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. I work with small, medium enterprises and large cap companies to help facilitate both growth capital and transition capital primarily. Oh man, that's that's a mouthful. That's a mouthful. So what exactly does that role entail? Yeah, so it's a lot of business development. It's about 50% of my role is business development, which is broken down respectively between networking and just market outreach and whatnot. And yeah, that's what half of my role. The other half is primarily analytical. It'll be largely doing financial models, debt servicing calculations, that sort of stuff. Oh man, by the sounds of it, a lot of the people that have been previous guests could really use some of that. Have a lot of entrepreneurs here and looking to need those types of services as they move forward. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we work with a lot of entrepreneurs. We work with a lot of programs between startups all the way to mature companies and sunset industries as well. So we service a whole gamut of businesses. Just out of curiosity, what's a sunset industry? So sunset industry would something would be something like, um, for example, payphones. They're still relevant. They still generate cash flow. They're there, but it's an industry that's dying. Oh. So we call the sunset industry because it's on its way out. Um, but they still have capital requirements and they still have the ability to service debt. So there there is a need for bank financing, and we find a way to work with them without you know risking going into the eventual demise of that industry. The more that you explained it, the less the euphemism sounded so nice because you'd be like, oh no, yeah, sunset, <laughs> sunset, the time's really Beautiful, good right? and great. And yeah. then you start going in and just like, oh man, their demise? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting phrase because it sounds a lot more romantic than it really is. Yeah, this sounds like I'm going into retirement. I'm going to be going on vacation and just going to be on the beach. So it's very funny how, how words are used in certain ways. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. From you yourself, like what got you into commercial banking? Like, how did you get started in this career? Great question. So I was in university at the time and I was working for a small private equity firm here in Calgary. At the firm, I was we were dealing with the same sort of same sort of industry. But there was an event on campus called Y Scotiabank. I ended up going to the event and I actually met my boss today at, at that event. We, you know, had a conversation. They they had a presentation, and at the end of the presentation, at the end of my five minutes or so with him face to face, I came to the the notion that I wanted to do exactly what he did. At, at the time, I was working for Loblaws, so I was working as a revenue analyst, and it was probably the worst job of my career. And, <laughs> and I know there's worse. Like I could have been scrubbing toilets or something, but. The rationale as to why I disliked this job path so much was it was very redundant. Every single task I did, I preemptively knew what I was going to do. So what I mean by that is I'd go in on Monday and Monday would every Monday would be the same thing. We would go look at historical numbers and we'd look at what we need to project out for. And it was always the same category, the same revenue streams, the same different vendors. Very, very structured. And some people love that, but for me, 
I wanted something that was a bit more dynamic. And that's what I found in, in commercial banking was we're never going to be dealing with the exact same company twice. We can have similar companies, but at the end of the day, everything is so unique and every person we interact with is completely different. And in our line of work, because there's so much revenue at risk for our stakeholders, so much capital at risk if we issue a bad loan, we have to make sure that everything we do makes sense. We have to be able to tell both the story as to why we should give them that sum of money and as to why they'll be successful. So going back to your question, how I got into this, at that event, when I spoke to Eugene and he told me, this is what I do, this is how I do it, and that's my day. At the end of the day, that was what drew me into this career path. And somehow I, I ended up on his team. So here I am today. That's amazing. It's just funny because you had work that was probably easy for you to execute and regularly, like just knowing what to expect, but you took away that cushion of knowing what to anticipate to being a little bit more, we got to figure it out every time. Like how did, how do you feel that affected the way you thought of the work you were doing? That's, that's a really good question. If I turn it back to Loblaws again here, like you said, it was easy and my first few months of my, my role there, I actually quit after two months, but my first month of the role there, <laughs> I actually automated about 75% of my job. Hmm. So I was able to use VBA and Excel and Python in order to draw all the data I needed. And it automated the first three days of the week for me. Okay. Only the last kind of two days of the week really required any brain, <laughs> any mental interaction. And it was an easy job that I could be very successful in, but at the same time, it wasn't challenging. Mm -hmm. And there was limited room for growth upwards that had challenging sort of dynamics in it. It was all very, very linear and everything was very structured. Mm -hmm. So the, the thing I love about my job now and the, the reason why I took a leap from safety over into something that's a little bit more entrepreneurial and a little bit more dynamic is you're always learning. There's not a day that I not really going to work right now, but not a single day where I'm working, where I'm not constantly learning or being challenged in the way I think. And I think that's really important for both professional and non-professional growth. Mm -hmm. And you'd say that that's one of the main things that you look for within work opportunities or just one of the main things that this opportunity happened to provide you um, as I, I think that's something that I would actively seek, actually. I, I worked for a few different places. And prior to joining here, I worked for that private equity firm as well, where things were, it was essentially a startup. You wore every single hat under the sun whenever you needed to wear the hat. And I felt that that was what actually led to me learning the most and becoming the most impactful in, in my role. So I, I think... Challenging yourself is incredibly important. And I think that's something that I actively seek in my role. Not saying that it's it's necessarily bad to have to work at Loblaws under that banner there, but it's definitely something that I would want to pursue. Mm -hmm. That's really good because it seems that a lot of what's tying into just how you feel excitement and how you feel like you want to engage with the work is the fact that you can you have the option of engaging with it differently, which is going to teach you different ways of approaching things instead of having one complete path. You might have a similar rubric, but 
outside of the rubric, you really want to be able to know how to tackle certain situations, see what different people information and how information changes, how you're supposed to approach it versus, yeah, it's lined out, do this, do that. If you can automate it, you don't really think it's going to be something that'll be like for you. Absolutely. And, and to that note, it's, it's like sports, right? You have a rule book that you have to follow. You, you have investors, you have guidelines, you have stakeholders that you have to meet your commitments to. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, the way you play it is the way you play it, right? You have your own style, your own network, your own way to, to get to that goal. Mm-hmm. Just moving into the next um, segment and your own goals, yeah, speaking of your own goals and things, how would you define your own personal brand at work? Like, how do you, how would you define people say, this is who Vince is at work? That's a good question. And that's something I I think I, I reflect on quite a bit. I think it's really important, especially in our industry here where we have to build our own brands. But I, I think the biggest thing about working with myself and what I'm known for in industry is dependability and speed. So Anything that we say we're going to deliver, we will deliver it and we'll deliver it as quickly as possible with the best service. That's one thing that the industry can rely on us for at Scotiabank. I know a lot of times people are always, you know, they make a lot of commitments. There's a lot of uh, pie in the sky dreams about what they want to do and being able to provide the financial acumen and advice in a quick manner that can get deals done is what we provide. If you don't deliver things with dependability in a timely fashion, like what does that do for your brand? Great question. I, I think when people are making large decisions about their, their businesses, when they're depending on their bank to, to come through, whether it's they're buying a building, they're purchasing another business, they might be aggressively acquiring a company, or they might be requiring transition capital, growth capital, whatever it may, might be. If your bank doesn't come through and meet their timelines, that can completely ruin your livelihood. It can take your plan from success to completely destroying it and losing whatever you've put down into your project so far, right? So your bank having the experience and the ability to deliver, to me, is the most important part of a bank. Interest rate, whatever. That's something that's important as well, you know, that uh, affects cash flow and whatnot. But... At the end of the day, you're going to pay for execution and service. I think that's almost important in every industry, if not. <laughs> if Absolutely. If you're able, I know like even in UX, this is a similar thing. You set timelines, you promise set timelines, you are looking to deliver within those timelines, or then people aren't going to come to you as readily for their next project or refer you for a project Absolutely. or you won't have that backing of you being somebody that's reliable to get the job done. Absolutely. Absolutely. Is your brand that you have at work, is it have a lot of um, consistency with your personal life or is it something that you see those traits or that brand show a little bit more in your work life? I think it's something that reflects throughout both my personal life and my work life. I find that, you know, being a dependable person, both within the workplace and both at home is is incredibly important. If you say you're going to do something, you got to do it. You got to end up delivering, right? So you got to live your values. Fair enough. Fair enough. Going with your values and creating these things using your dependability, what has been one of your biggest goals that you accomplished within the past year? 
Yeah, great question. I think one of the, the big things that's been for me, at least at work over the last year, was I've been working with a, a business that's extremely difficult to work with. There's lots of eyes on this type of a transaction. It's related to a not-for-profit organization, so there's technically no no profits. <laughs> they they generate revenue and it all goes towards a cause, which means there's limited recourse from a, a security standpoint for a bank because at the end of the day, there's not really anything to take if something happens. And imagine if someone were to, you know, file for, for Chapter 11 against a uh, not-for-profit company in the media. It would be horrible for bank reputation, right? Mm -hmm. So it's difficult both in the sense that the the business is high risk just inherently from what it operates in. And then it's also extremely difficult from the the other side because there's no cash. There's just nothing. So going into this, we have to be extremely creative in the way that we structured it. Given that we're still under NDA, I can't give too many details. And I don't, I'm not but, asking for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we were able to, to support a not-for-profit company through both growth and construction capital, which are considered extremely high risk in industry. So we're able to support them both in their expansionary goals, as well as in their current uh, needs. So mm-hmm. we were extremely excited to be able to get the, the, the client on board and yeah. That we've been pursuing this transaction for about two years now. Oh, wow. So Amazing. So you're able to kind of reach them where they are right now and make sure that they're able to keep the lights on and keep things going as, as per business, but also look further ahead and help them plan for that better outcomes for their company at the same time? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. How did you celebrate um, that accomplishment? Like what were some of the things that you did to celebrate and bring meaning to it i guess from a a personal celebratory thing it was just a a great win for myself so you know it was a check mark both for myself professionally and and at home here but we did end up throwing a a large celebration dinner for the board of directors as well as for our senior leaders here at the bank for everyone to kind of understand each other and have uh, kind of a mutual sort of celebratory dinner i guess yeah, that was about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the reasons why I asked, like, well, how did you celebrate it? So I know a lot of the times we do go through things and we're just like, oh, it's amazing that we were able to help the company go from A to B. But then we don't also take time for ourselves and really thank ourselves and enjoy the fact that we were able to help contribute those things. So it's just like one of those questions that I always find very it's hard to really gauge how somebody's going to answer it and how somebody's going to really look at it. Cause even like the dinner, yeah. um, I think yep. that's like a big, a big celebration for everybody. And I just hope that everybody is able to enjoy it for the fact of it being it, not just Absolutely. like go home and be like, I did a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For that big accomplishment, what were some of the key things that you did to keep yourself on track? Yeah. Th- this one was an interesting one. So, I guess one of the key things was being very structured and persistent. Right when we entered into discussions, COVID hit and that threw everything, just threw a wrench into everything, you know. Mm -hmm. So just consistent communication, continually checking up, seeing how things are going, developing a really strong understanding of their business and being able to convey that to them, that we're there regardless of the the circumstances and we're, we're interested in doing business together. 
I think that that really showed over the course of 18 months, continually providing financial advisory services without any compensation towards the bank. At the end of the day, all these sort of things we did for the the business ended up winning the business at the end, right? So, yeah, and I was just like making sure that you kept it about what their needs were and being curious about them versus your own interests at the time that kept you on track, right? Yeah. Got it. And throughout the whole process, were there any moments that you felt like you wanted to just flip the table and be like, I don't want to work on this anymore? Oh man, (laughs) that's a great question. Almost, you know, once COVID hit, I was like, no, no more. (laughs) Um, But to be honest, I think every single time that I, I ran into that challenge where things started to get potentially a little bit too hairy for to, to continue wanting to move forward with a transaction, mm-hmm. just sitting down and thinking about the stakeholders at the end of the day, not necessarily the, on the bank side, but on the client side. Mm-hmm. Understanding that if this wasn't something that we can eventually do, it, it it could have led to this not being able to meet their their obligations this year. It could have led to this company not being able to keep the lights on or even pay staff, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, knowing that really continues to drive me, right? So it's like continuing to go with the purpose as to why is it important for my customer versus this is not the best situation that we're currently in right now. Yeah, yeah. Got it. And how did you, like, what type of things did you do to stay close to the customer, like stay within their interests and like, keep that happening consistently? Both constant communication and just understanding the industry. So the industry that they're in, they're they're not for profit in in the private education space. Mm -hmm. So maintaining a good lens on both the, the political landscape especially as Alberta has moved into a conservative government regime and as well as continuing to understand what the federal government is trying to do with private education always led to, you know, robust conversations and a strong understanding from the client that we're interested in their going concern. Like we want to be there regardless of what happens and we have our eyes on what's going on and that we're worried about, not necessarily worried, but we are involved with their business we understand the day-to-day and we understand the big picture mm-hmm. so, so yeah just constantly touching base and and yeah having those those touch points with them that's like really important where sometimes the problem is not just what the day-to-day operations is for the company you have to have an understanding of the regulatory bodies or what's happening in the political landscape around them because that helps to shape what they can or can't do or have absolutely. the ability the ability to do yeah absolutely there was a, a big piece that came out with you know funding changes from the government in this space where they used to subsidize large large portions of their revenue and that was that was going to evaporate so having those conversations with them what's their contingency plan that just lets them know that we understand what's going on and that we want to make sure that they're successful as well. Mm-hmm. Makes a lot of sense. The government would do what it needs to do. You got to figure out what you can do within those regulations. And just as you have your rule book that we were speaking about earlier, 
You yeah. got to find out what the rules are and then play within it Absolutely. <laughs> as you can. Absolutely. Was there ever a time that you doubted that you were effective in your role? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I hate to lean on this idea so much, but when COVID hit, you know, we were, everyone was concerned. No one really knew what was going on. And, you know, we, we saw hundreds of requests come in suddenly with people looking for interest waivers, uh, you know, payment deferrals and whatnot. So at that time, I think all of us kind of questioned whether or not what we were doing was beneficial or effective for our customers anymore. Mm-hmm. Scotiabank was was incredible throughout this entire time. Being a chartered bank and, and being as big as we are, we're able to help support our companies even when things were going bad. Even when we had a company that was was about to go under and instead of pulling our loans and sending them bankrupt, we actually gave them more money. And that money was enough to get them to where they are today, where they're absolutely solvent and none of their loans have had any defaults going forward. So I, I think for a period at the beginning of COVID, it was it was challenging to understand if what we were doing was truly positive. Mm-hmm. But I think the way that we reacted throughout the pandemic really showed that we, yeah, we were an essential piece of the, the business puzzle for them. There's a lot of things and adjustments that it sounds that the company had to do. I want to know like a little bit more on a personal level, what are some things that you had to do to adjust to make yourself feel more comfortable with all of this uncertainty that just kind of hit you at the time? I I remember when COVID started happening, we we're still joking about it in the office. All of us were like, yeah, it's the, the great toilet paper crisis or something, right? So we, we were joking a ton. And on the Friday before we went home for the weekend, I remember my boss was like, Yep. So take your laptops home. Uh, some of you might not come back on Monday, and then not because we're getting fired or something, but <laughs> you like, might not come intense. back because yeah, <laughs> he, he was just noting like half of us might be working from home, half might be working from the office. Got it. So we all took our laptops home, and I got a call from him close to midnight on Sunday, and he was like, "Yep. So we're going to be working from home indefinitely for everybody in the office," and. It was it was an interesting adjustment because when you work from home, it's very hard to disconnect from work. You're kind of almost always on call, even though you, that might not be part of your mandate. If someone sends you an email at 6 p.m. and you got your work phone or your work laptop on you, there's a good chance you're going to respond. Mm-hmm. So I think the most difficult thing I had, especially towards the beginning, was adjusting to be able to, to disconnect from work. I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, I was easily working 16 to 18 hour days, like six days a week. I was just always attending to matters. And, you know, it it didn't help that all of our our customers and clients were stressed. (laughs) So if they were worried, we were worried as well, right? We made it important to us. Mm -hmm. So I, I think the biggest thing that I had to learn was how to, how to disconnect from work and, you know, make those adjustments, how to, separate work from from personal life as well yeah 100 percent, and that's something that like even as we get a little bit better it's sometimes not as easy to do especially when things come urgently right yeah and you say that you were able to figure out ways to separate them what were some of the strategies that you implemented in doing to be able to do that i turned off my phone <laughs> <laughs> that was uh that was pretty beneficial 
but to, to be serious, I, I did end up actually disconnecting my work phone, uh, turning it off kind of after, after 8 p.m. just because I, I was getting emails all the way into the night, right? So, so starting to disconnect a little bit there. Uh, another strategy I used was just kind of starting to separate more things, even physically. So I, I designated a space for work. I, I ended up converting one of our bedrooms into an office and exclusively kind of headquartering my work from there. Uh, just so I can have that disconnect. Prior to that, I was working in the dining room and the living room on the kitchen island or whatnot, just kind of makeshift uh, wherever, but that would uh, end up lasting too long. So <laughs> I'd end up sitting at the, the island forever. I think that's like the physical space of really separating yourself is, has been super important. Luckily, I don't have my work phone. I just have like Slack messaging. So it comes in, yeah. I'll be like, is this an emergency? Is this an emergency? Is this an emergency? Nope. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but if it is like in the space, if I can't, if I have everything there where I'm sleeping, I'm eating, I'm gaming, I'm watching TV, I'm studying i'm doing this it could all be too much within the same space so it just feels like whatever i'm doing i know i have that potential of work thing popping up that's not appropriate for downtime yeah yeah absolutely and what made you decide on eight o'clock to be your cutoff and not earlier I just felt like it was a healthy time. A lot of my customers operate within various industries and some of their, their businesses are open, you know, some of them are retailers. Like we, we manage some large franchise groups mm -hmm. and sometimes we get nine one ones that come in, you know, later and whatnot. But, uh, realistically 8 PM was kind of the cutoff for 99% of my customers. Nice. So you just tried to make yourself as much available as possible. And from what you say, it wasn't eating into your time too much. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. And it's just like really good to know and see that even if you're on the more like the banking side of things, you're still doing your best as like a designer, like kind of like a UX designer where you're really trying to understand your users. What are their times? When do they operate? What do they need? It's the most primary thing for me um, interacting with them making sure my lines of communication are very clear and open with them so that things don't get out of track. And then I'm the one that's holding the bag at the end of the day. So that makes a lot of sense. And it's funny because like a lot of the thought process sounds very much like how the UX mindset is versus <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like a bank. Like, that was exactly what I was just thinking. Like the, the primary thing we look at is like, what does somebody need and how to set realistic expectations, right? Those are incredibly important pieces to, to us being successful to delivery is that we're clear on our communication. We have concrete milestones and expectations from our customers so they understand what's going on the whole time and that we're delivering on what they need and they understand from the get-go what we're trying to deliver for them. And that's really good. So next segment that I want to move on to is what we call a rapid-fire segment. I Fun. I'm going to just give you a bunch of questions. These could be very short answers. If you want to say another sentence or two, I'm not going to hold it against you, but really just trying to understand just a little bits of nuggets that we could share with everybody that's listening to us today. Sounds good? Sure. Cool. So first question, what is one attribute that has continued to contribute to your success and growth? I think self-awareness, self-reflection, and being able to take critical feedback. Nice. We got a triple from that. Um, who has been a great 
inspiration for you? Um, my mentor. Nice. And who has been your biggest cheerleader for your success? Absolutely my wife. Awesome. Um, how do you celebrate your wins? Ooh, good question. Drinking. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, just forget about them. Just go have yeah. it and forget about it. <laughs> yeah, just wipe them out of there. Celebrating our wins. I think, you know, we, we do a good job of recognition both in the office and, and both at home of, of things that are well done. Nice. What's one lie you had to stop telling yourself? How to measure success. Nice. What is a hobby that you do outside of work that keeps you grounded? Mm. I think both gaming and cooking are, are big ones for me. Nice. And the best advice that you've ever received? Mm, that's a good one. The best advice that I ever received. I, I think it was actually to cut out social media. If you had 60 seconds with yourself when you came out of high school, what advice would you give him? Ooh. I think to, to always ask why, to always understand why, to, to really dive down to the root of everything. Oh, man. Even more proof that you're gonna, you should have been a UX designer. <laughs> <laughs> what is one book that you'd recommend? You know, I, I think one that I'd really recommend is How to Win Friends and Influence People from Dale Carnegie. Nice. And what's one piece of parting advice for the listeners? I think the, the biggest piece of advice that I received is, you know, and one that I'd like to part as well as success isn't necessarily measured by the people that are around you, but where you are relative to where you were. And how can the listeners best reach you? Albeit my, my best advice, uh, LinkedIn is probably the best way. <laughs> <laughs> for sure for sure so vince i really appreciate you coming on today learned a lot about corporate banking and now i have to start thinking of oh how do i go and do my own company and like make sure that i deliver and stay on top if people at the bank are thinking of me as their users and you're actually delivering like as you say i gotta make sure that i'm delivering for my users and my customers at the end of the day as well really do appreciate you coming on Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. And everybody, that's another episode in the books. I hope you really enjoyed it and we'll catch you in the next one. Peace. Thanks for listening to this episode of Breaking the Imposter. To stay up to date when episodes are released or to become a guest on the podcast, you can visit our website at www.breakingtheimposter.com. Follow us wherever you listen to podcasts so we can make sure the imposter stays broken.